Welcome back to A Story of Us, our humanity, history, and department. We're back for a second season, and as always, this podcast is hosted entirely by the graduate students at The Ohio State University's Anthropology Department and in collaboration with the American Anthropological Association. Thank you all for joining us for the first episode of this second series. I'm Alex Wilkins, and I'm excited to be back. Uh, And we also have a new host joining us for this series. Hi, everyone. I'm Emma Legan, and I'm so excited to be joining the podcast. I am a first-year PhD student and a bioarchaeologist. So I study the pattern and amount of wear on teeth from people in medieval and post-medieval Europe. We are so happy to have you, and I'm really excited to get started. Uh, But for our new listeners, I'm a second-year master's student, and I'm a primatologist. So my research focuses on the red colobus monkeys in the Thai forest in West Africa. So last semester, our theme for Series 1 was migration. But this semester, we're starting Series 2, where we'll focus on childhood. Childhood is a very important topic in anthropology. Anthropologists study aspects of childhood ranging from motherhood to how the perception of childhood has changed throughout time. We're going to start off this series by talking about how children grow, how biology directs their growth, and the environmental factors that can cause changes in these growth patterns. Just the biological elements of growth alone will take us a pretty long time to explain, so we're actually going to have two sets of episodes to break them up. So the first episode pair will be about early childhood up to weaning, and then the second episode pair will be about adolescence. We're going to be talking about two sections of the body, cranial and postcranial. So cranial just means everything associated with your head, and postcranial is everything else, like your chest and limbs. We talked a little bit about this in our most recent episode with Dr. Noreen von kramen tabadell That's true. She talked about how there's a basic genetic plan for all of the parts of your body, but the environment that you grow up in can cause the final body shape and size to vary. Like we talked about in episode 4A in our last series, genes are the building codes for our bodies, and they control how fast we grow how our bodies function, what our features will look like, and especially the shapes of our bones and teeth. But genes aren't the only things that can affect these processes. The environment that an individual grows up in can affect those processes and ultimately the final outcome of our phenotype. Anthropologists use the word plasticity to describe these changes that can occur during growth and development that can happen in response to the environment. So if you remember from our last series, the phenotype is simply the physical form that an individual has. Our genes give us a range of potential, and the environment helps to pinpoint where we end up in that range. Your environment isn't just factors like climate and geography. Things like nutrition or your diet can also have an effect. We'll talk about how all of these different factors can have an impact on a growing body throughout the next two episodes. All right, so I think we're ready to go, but before we jump into all the details about growth and development from a skeletal perspective, why don't we start out with defining what we mean by childhood? We all know what children are, but the concept of a child can get pretty complicated when you think about it. So let's look at it this way. Who is not a child? When do you stop being a child? Depending on the context, you can answer that question in a lot of different ways. So is it when you stop growing? Is it the moment in the U.S. when you turn 16 and can get your license? Or 18 when you can vote? Or maybe 21? Is it when you move out of your parents' house? When you start earning your own money? Maybe when you reproduce and have kids of your own? Childhood can be defined biologically and culturally. So Alex just pointed out some of the cultural factors. Americans typically think of childhood ending at a certain age, usually 18. But in other countries and cultures, childhood might not end until the day that you're married or until you complete a particular rite of passage. Rites of passage mark the end of one stage or category of a person's life and the celebration of a new one. 
They are often associated with particular rituals to formally recognize the person's change in social status. For example, 13-year-old Jewish children give a reading from the Torah to celebrate the end of their childhood and the beginning of adulthood. But even then, from a legal perspective, if they live in the U.S., they're still children for another five years, even if they're adults from their religious perspective. And they will definitely continue growing after the age of 13. As we go through this series, we have to keep in mind that the cultural experience and definition of childhood can vary significantly both within and between groups, depending on the circumstances. Many anthropologists who study childhood growth and development in human biology use a life history perspective to understand how these factors relate to other important things like reproduction and adulthood. You've heard about life history stages before, probably as they relate to butterflies. Butterflies have four major life history stages. They start as eggs, then move into their larval or caterpillar stage. They then become pupae, the cocoon stage, and then finally, the fourth stage is the adult butterfly. So similar to butterflies, human life history is also often broken into four stages, but these stages are obviously a little bit different from the butterflies. The first three stages that we have are infancy, childhood, and adolescence, and these stages include almost all of our growth and development. The last stage, adulthood, includes everything that happens from when a person matures until they eventually die. In this series, we're interested in the first three stages, infancy, childhood, and adolescence. Essentially, everything that occurs before adulthood, including the prenatal period. Right. The prenatal period encompasses the whole time the fetus is in utero or in the womb, from conception until birth, and it's really important even though it isn't always discussed as frequently as these other stages. The prenatal period is arguably the most important period for growth and development overall. It's when all major organs of the developing person begin to form, including their skeleton. The bones that make up your skeleton begin to form about eight weeks after conception, but you wouldn't recognize them because they actually don't look very much like the adult forms that you're used to seeing, probably in your classroom or, uh, or during Halloween. Babies are born small, so bones can't start off at their full size. It's important to remember that whatever develops in utero has to be able to fit through the mother's birth canal safely. Bones begin forming at ossification centers, and they won't calcify or connect or harden fully until many years after birth. Ossification is the process of laying down bone, so ossification centers are the places where bone starts growing. Bones begin growing at these centers and will lengthen and merge to form complete bones by adulthood. Long bones, which are bones like the femur and humerus that make up your legs and arms, have three main ossification centers. The middle of the long part of the bone, the shaft, has two ends called the epiphyses, which act like caps on the growing bone. Most of the growth occurs at the epiphyses so that the bone can grow longer. At each of these ossification centers, cells will start laying down cartilage and bone matrix material that will lengthen and harden later, but the building blocks are set before birth. Long bones aren't the only part of the skeleton that begin developing during the prenatal period, but won't fully be grown until well after birth. Another example is the various cranial bones, or the bones of your head. Since the head is usually the first thing to exit the mother during birth, it's really important that the cranial bones can move through safely. When babies are born, their heads aren't the full adult size yet. They're smaller, so it's easier for the mother to give birth. The neurocranium, or the round part of your head, is soft when you are a baby, and there are holes called fontanelles that allow the head to squeeze a little bit as the baby goes through the birth canal. This is actually a really big deal for modern humans, because when we're adults, we have, we have the biggest brains relative to our body size when we compare to other terrestrial mammals. Compared to our primate relatives, human babies are born pretty underdeveloped and helpless. 
It's been argued that this is due, in part, to the need for the baby to exit the mother before the brain gets too big. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. The difference in ability at birth between human babies and primate babies is, is actually pretty striking. The baby monkeys that I see in the Thai forest can grasp onto their mothers pretty much as soon as they're born, and some are actually able to start feeding themselves only within a matter of months. Okay, but we're getting ahead of ourselves here. We're not done with the prenatal development yet. A month or two before birth, baby teeth begin to mineralize. Dental anthropologists, like myself, call baby teeth deciduous teeth. They're the ones that you give to the tooth fairy when they fall out. Then, a few weeks before birth, your permanent or your adult first molar begins to mineralize. But unlike bones that have ossification centers and don't harden fully, teeth grow in a totally different way than bone. Yeah, there are some pretty significant differences. For teeth, there are two main tissues that form when they're developing. There's enamel, the part of the tooth that you see when you smile, and then there's dentine, the material underlying enamel, which makes up most of the root. Teeth grow from the inside to the outside. So if you cut a tooth in half, you have the pulp in the center, which is where the nerves are. This is what hurts when you have a toothache. Then you have a layer of dentine and finally a layer of enamel. All of these layers protect your teeth, which is why it doesn't usually hurt when you eat. At the bottom, there's cementum, which surrounds the root and helps keep your teeth in place, just like cement. When we talk about teeth, we're going to focus mostly on enamel for a few reasons. So first of all, it's the part of the tooth that you're probably the most familiar with. It's what you brush and what you floss. It's studied extensively by anthropologists like Emma and a lot of other people in our department. And perhaps the coolest reason, or at least my favorite, is that it keeps a record of every day of your life and that cannot be changed, unless it's destroyed, from the time the first tooth begins mineralizing until your wisdom teeth finish producing enamel. The cells that produce enamel move from the point where the enamel and dentine layers meet towards the outer edge of the tooth, the part that you see. Every day, these cells lay down a matrix that will harden into enamel, the hardest structure in the human body. At the end of each day, there's a little constriction in what's laid down that marks the end of each 24-hour period. Enamel production starts before birth, like we said, but most of the work, especially for permanent teeth, is done after birth or during infancy. Yeah, infancy is the first major life history stage that we mentioned at the beginning of this episode. Infancy is often defined as the period between birth and weaning, among other biological and cognitive advancements. And infancy is actually one of the fastest growth periods for a child up until and through weaning. Children are growing extremely fast. All of the dental and skeletal growth aspects that we mentioned during this overview of prenatal development continued to grow and develop during infancy. For most bones, these epiphyses stay open through the prenatal, infancy, and at least the early childhood period. Most of the longitudinal growth, which is the growth that adds length to your bones, takes place in the region between the epiphyses and the shaft, until the epiphyses fuse to the shaft towards the end of development. During the prenatal and postnatal period, most of what's considered growth includes the longitudinal addition of bones at these epiphyses. But this isn't actually the only process that allows bones to take their full adult size and shape. The other process is called modeling, which is where bone is removed from one surface and added to another to reshape a portion of the bone to make it more functional and stable in the long term. We'll talk about this more in a later episode. And finally, in the cranium, the open fontanelles that Emma mentioned earlier allow the brain to grow larger in the first two years after birth, which typically corresponds to the end of our infancy. The softer bones making up the neurocranium continue to go around the brain to protect it, and eventually the fontanelles will close. These bones will also start to harden to better protect the brain during the end of childhood. By the end of infancy, the brain will be about 80% of its final adult weight. Deciduous teeth have also erupted, and it is this point that children are generally weaned. 
So we can define weaning in several different ways, but for humans, we usually talk about it as the transition from breast milk to hard foods. Like Alex said, this is a transition, not a day. So it spans two major life history stages, infancy and childhood. One of the major downsides to weaning is that the child loses some of the protection that comes from getting all their food and nutrients from the mother. Sometimes we call this maternal buffering. For primate infants, at least, once they're weaned, they're more responsible for feeding themselves, and they might be at greater risk for suffering from things like external pressures. Interestingly, weaning tends to occur around the time the first permanent molar erupts in some primates. However, eruption of the first permanent molar in humans typically occurs several years after weaning. So to be clear, this is the same permanent first molar that began mineralizing before birth, right? Absolutely. It takes a few years for the enamel of most teeth to form completely, even though those cells lay down enamel every single day. They only lay down a minuscule amount at a time. In order to emerge, though, the root, which, if you remember, that's made up of dentine and that thin layer of cementum, has to be fairly developed as well. And that process takes a bit longer. Once that's done, then the tooth can erupt. So this was a really cool episode for me not being a dental anthropologist. I actually learned a lot, so I hope you all did too. Um, but next episode, we'll have an OSU anthropology faculty, Dr. Guatelli Steinberg, who studies dental growth and development in hominins, and a graduate student, Genevieve Ritchie Ewing, who studies maternal stress during pregnancy. Um, so they should be able to talk a little bit more extensively about how understanding these processes of growth and development can inform a big range of different anthropological questions. And then after that, Alex and I will continue our discussion of biological growth and development post-weaning. And in the meantime, uh, you know the drill. You can subscribe to the podcast, like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at A Story of Us, OSU. Or you can check out our website, anthropology.osu.edu. And don't forget to leave a review of the show on iTunes. Remember, the more reviews that we have, the easier it is for people to find the show and fall in love with it, just like you guys did. And as always, this podcast is produced in collaboration with the American Anthropological Association. And we hope you join us next time as we continue to explore a story of us, our humanity, history, and department. <laughs>